Good afternoon, church. My name is Edward Dominguez. I belong to the North ECG, and it's good to have you back. Um, I'll be reading out of Psalm 67 in Spanish today. Dios nos tenga compasión y nos bendiga. Dios haga resplandecer su rostro sobre nosotros. Para que, su, para que se conozcan en la tierra sus caminos y entre todas las naciones su salvación. Que te alaben, oh Dios, los pueblos, que todos los pueblos te alaben. Alégrense y canten con júbilo las naciones porque tú las gobiernas con rectitud. Tú guías las naciones de la tierra. Que te alaben, oh Dios, los pueblos, que todos los pueblos te alaben. La tierra dará entonces su fruto y Dios, nuestro Dios, nos bendecirá. Dios nos bendecirá y le temerán todos los confines de la tierra. This is the word of the Lord. well for about three years and I'm a covenant member and I help co-lead the East MLK CG. My one place is my place of work so I work at Dimensional Fund Advisors which is an asset management company and God actually put on my heart to be on ministry in the corporate world when I was in college and I knew that I was going to be pursuing this career path so this is something that I've been passionate about for quite a long time. I've been working at Dimensional for about five and a half years, and that initially started with me just investing in coworkers, trying to build relationships beyond just a professional setting. It eventually led to meeting a couple other believers in the workplace. We very quickly started Bible study, and originally it was just us three meeting and getting into the Word every other week. We now have a lot of coworkers from all different stages of their walk with Christ or people that don't even know Christ that are just exploring, come to our Bible study, and it's been an incredible journey. I was really excited when I saw that we were doing the One Place series because, as I said, this is something I'm really passionate about, and I feel like the Lord has always put on my heart to be in ministry wherever wherever life finds me, and right now life finds me at Dimensional. So I was very encouraged by the series. It made me think more strategically about the way that I am interacting with my coworkers, the way that I'm leading the Bible study, how I'm using my one-on-one -on -one time with people, just different questions that I can ask to get beyond just the surface level conversation. And it's a great opportunity to tell other coworkers when they ask me if I want to go to lunch, to tell them I actually have plans and I'm going to a Bible study and have an opportunity to invite people to come um, but our, our group has really just grown organically because of that, because the members have continued to invite other members, and so it has just snowballed into a, a network of people that are curious and want to come and talk about the Bible during the middle of the workday. I love in the Gospels how Jesus is just present in everything that he does, and he may be on a mission to do something, but if someone comes up to him as in need, or has a question, he stops whatever he is doing and is present with them in that moment to care for them. And I've always told myself in the workplace, I never want to be too busy. I never want to be too preoccupied with my agenda. I want to be present. 
so that whoever comes my way, whoever approaches me, I want to care for them and be with them in that moment. Something that has really encouraged me was we had this one man join our Bible study who had a young family and he got invited through someone else that had been coming for a while and he had a faith or claimed he had a faith but very early in the Bible study I could tell that he was still exploring and he was still learning. Well, it turns out um, he ended up moving after a year of being in our Bible study group and before he left he kind of gave a speech to our group and thanked us and was near in tears and said, you know, I have young kids and this Bible study has led me to realize that I need a church home for my family and that this is far more important than anything else. And so we got to see that the Bible study group had kind of reignited his faith beyond just him personally, but then it trickled into his family and, and their future. And it was really cool to see the impact that our, you know, lunch gatherings had for hopefully eternity on his whole family. God's beloved, how are we? Mm, good. Um, hey, Psalm 122 verse 1 uh, says, I was glad when they said unto me, uh, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so I love being in the house of the Lord with you all in. Uh, you are, uh, this church is really grace upon grace in many different ways. And so uh, welcome 2022. Uh, it already feels like 2020 part two. Uh, but God does not change. Amen. Amen. And so because of this, I believe what he has called this church to be and to do, he is going to do. And so I'm excited to pursue that together. Um, we are beginning a new uh, but an old, but kind of a new series uh, today, sort of like The Matrix, but way better. <laughs> I hope, at least, okay? We're speaking about a better resurrection, shoot, all right? Um, our call back, but our call forward series is our One Place series. And so if you've been with us, uh, in August we did this series, and uh, we intentionally are going back to it because uh, we don't want to just say things out loud and publicly, but then uh, not really do anything with them with our lives. We actually want to uh, employ the things that the scriptures command of us and to really learn how to carry this out. You see, we believe at the word of God that it changes us for the good and that it changes everything and everyone around us for the good. And so we wanted to focus on this again, uh, but also bring a little bit of a twist to it as well. Um, as a reminder, we're going through our distinctives throughout this whole year uh, as a church. And really this one place carries with it the idea of what is really our evangelism distinctive. And I wanna read the whole thing for you. It's a lot of verbiage, a lot of language, but I think it's helpful for us as we kick off this series. Um, it reads that every soul is one that Jesus longs for. You see, discipleship doesn't just include making those who already believe stronger in their faith. Throughout the scripture, it also includes reaching the lost and bringing them into the kingdom. God has called each Christian to reach the lost, and often God calls individuals to specific groups of people or locations. We desire that every Christian is making disciples wherever they go. However, we also want every member to feel responsible for one place, a specific location or people group that they're intentionally investing in, seeking to allow the gospel to permeate through them there. Our goal should be that every person hears the good news of Jesus Christ and hopes that God would work on their hearts and bring them to himself. 
And there's a bunch of scripture that's interlaid in that. I just removed it so it all fit on the screen. But we really do believe that every soul is one that Jesus longs for. And we think that God intentionally or sovereignly is placing us in the century and in the location and in the family that we are in so that we would have the best chance of coming to know him and finding our place in the kingdom. No amens there? Okay, let me, let me try that again. God isn't distant from you, family. That's what this really highlights in that sense. He loves you so much that he has intentionally placed you in this season and in this moment of life, even with all the chaos of the world or the chaos of your family or the chaos of your own life, with all of the ups and the downs, God has placed you here ultimately because he was positioning it so that you would have the best chance of coming to know who he is. God is good to us. He is gracious to us. He wants to be the husband of your souls. And God has positioned it that you would have the best opportunity to do just that. And so God is good. This is gospel news. In fact, maybe that's why God has even brought you to church today, that even through the invitation of a friend or you just kind of walking up in here, God wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. The God of the universe wants you to know him. And this is good news. He's wanting to give you eternal life. And he's positioned each of us to be able to receive that. You see, I'm not just saying something that's philosophical in nature. The Bible actually proclaims this over and over and over again. In Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, it says, And he made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. This is glorious news, that God has placed us purposefully that we might feel our way towards God and find him, and God is not far from any one of us. And so part of the reason that we care about this as a church and why we're circling around it is in part so that you and I would actually be able to worship. You see, this one place idea is not just evangelistic in nature, but it's also about us as well, that God has placed you in a certain place that you might come to know God. This should be worshipful, that God wants you to know him. If you're a Christian, God was so careful to insert you in the perfect place in humanity's history that you might go to heaven, that you might know God. Thank you, thoughtful king. Not only us, though, who have come to know him, but every person on earth. God is placed here specifically and purposely so that they would have the best chance of coming to know who he is. And we believe this as a church family. And so we say that what if we, understanding this reality, understanding Acts 17, that God is intentionally placing us where we should be, what if we were intentional ourselves as well? What if we were prayerful in choosing one place, not just where we would find God, not just where you and I would see God, but where we would recognize that maybe God is trying to move in other people's lives as well, that they might see him too. What if we were intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus in one place? Not that we are unintentional everywhere else, but that we are really specific and purposeful and even recognizing maybe God has me here to be his ambassador. 
Maybe God has placed you in that neighborhood or in the gym that you go to or your workplace or your school or your organization or the coffee shop or whatever it might be that God would be able to call other people to himself through you. This is how intentional we believe that God is. And whether we realize it or not, everyone is trying to feel their way towards God. That's what Acts 17 says. Everybody is groping for God, trying to figure it out. And many times we don't realize what we're searching for, but everyone in their soul was created to know God. And so naturally they will begin to grope for him. What if God has put you in a place that as they are reaching, you can guide their hand to grab a hold of eternal life? We believe that God has placed us where we live, work, and play for a reason. That's why I love the video. and We showed this beforehand because Becca has done such a phenomenal job being intentional where she works. God has given her that job for many reasons, for uh, finances, to be able to help provide for her family or her church or whatever it might be, to be able to create and to do good in the world and to give products to us where we can flourish. That is all a part of God's design, but a part of it may also be for the salvation of others. That God is trying to do something more than just material or momentary, but something eternal. And she's recognizing that and carrying that out in her one place. And so we hope that you are doing that as well. In fact, we have a uh, one place, I think we have like a graphic or um, a little thing that we created where we said, hey, what if we were really purposeful with our one place? And we picked one place. Is it up there? Is the screen working? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. We picked one place where we're strategic in this year, and you can download this if you're like a, a, a physical type and you need to see it, it's helpful for you. And what if in that one place we committed to pray for two hours each month for that one place? What if we had three hours of presence there, that's purposeful presence, where like we're being intentional at least three hours a week? What if we shared the gospel four times a year and tried to have five people or relationships in the midst of that? We believe that, man, if we're just strategic with where God has us, then maybe we would begin to see God move. And hopefully, if you were with us in August, you've been able to do this some. And even if you didn't or you totally forgot about this, I want to encourage you to begin to do it even today. Because I believe that we're missing out on the glories of God and really the ability to see him move when we're not on mission with him and on mission for him. Because when you do things with someone that you love, you tend to grow in intimacy with that person. Think about parenting, right? If you are parenting with your spouse and you are both loving each other, then pretty naturally as you begin to invest in something together, it will also grow your affections for one another when it is done well. I believe the same is true with God. When we're doing what God is trying to do, which is redeem the world to himself, then we grow in intimacy with God very naturally. And so each of us has been called to be on mission with God. And this is for our sake and our joy, for God's glory, and for the joy of other people. And so that's the callback, what we talked about in August, okay? But this series isn't just thinking about our one place per se, but it's also thinking about the nations. This is where we're turning it a little bit and also calling us forward as well. It's new, but it really carries the same idea. You see, for many of us, we're called to be here where God has placed us. 
and that we and others might know Christ here. But for some of us, though, we're called to go there where God has called us so that others would come to know and see Christ somewhere else. Either way, family of God, you've been called by God. And we'll talk about the nations a little bit more specifically next week, and we'll do a little bit more general one place this week, but try to lay the foundations for what we hope to be in a church. You see, because each of us, we have a part or a a piece to play in the goal or in the mission of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, it really says this, It says that, and this is from God, who through Christ reconciled or made right the world to himself and gave us the ministry of making things right. He gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody who has been called by God has been given a ministry to do by God, and that ministry is making things right. It is the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in case you're unsure, Paul says in verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Can you put that scripture back up on the screen? The world to himself, right? God wants the entire world to know who he is, not just the Israelite Jewish nation, not just the few Gentiles that were around at the time, but God is trying to reconcile the entire world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are representatives, we're ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be made right with God. This is part of why we exist as a church. We want people who do not know God to come into relationship with our King. In fact, even as a staff team and as elders were fasting and praying over this next quarter that at our next celebration Sunday, we would see 15 people get baptized again and that God would continue to draw people because we long to see people who do not have relationship with God enter into that relationship that they were created by God to have. God wants reconciliation. We are ambassadors, representatives, and this is, family of God, a gift of grace. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in North Carolina uh, and an author as well, he was talking about his time in college. And he said in that time in college, he used to uh, really kind of be like, God, what are you calling me to? And, And man, you know what? If you say something, then maybe I'll go. But he read this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And he says this. He says that semester, after reading this passage, my prayer changed from, God, if you command me to go, I'll go. To God, show me where and how you want me to go. The question you see is not if we're called to pour out our lives for mission, only where and how. God has called each of us. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this afternoon in a passage that I think is rich with motivation and beauty and wonder and calling and significance. If you go back to Psalm 67, which we read already, you'll notice this beauty that's wrapped up within this psalm. First of all, you notice that this salvation or this evangelism uh, psalm in a lot of way, that this blessing of the nations is actually a corporate psalm. You see, we often skip over the intro verse thinking that it has no significance, but every word in Scripture is important, amen? And so it says this to the choir master, 
Now, all of the Psalms were meant to be sung corporately, but this one specifically, David is highlighting, should be sung in a very certain way, congregationally together. In other words, evangelism needs to be a corporate desire. It can't just be the pastors and the elders and the CG shepherds who care about the nations coming to know Christ, but the entire congregation should be singing and asking and desiring that the nations would come to know God. We should care about people coming to know God. Why? Why should we care about it? Because God is freaking good, y'all. Amen? Like, God is good. You know, I think that we often think about escaping hell as a motivation for coming to know God. And yes, this is true, but way more than escaping hell, family of God, you get God. Like, you get to know God. Notice, David is asking that God would bless them, he says that. That is Israel. And so he says, hey, bless us. And then he says, Selah. Okay, now Selah is uh, uh, this term that most scholars think means to pause or to meditate on. It was a musical term, maybe like an instrumental after the chorus was sung, and it was meant that you would reflect on what was just said. And so David is like, God bless us. Now congregation, think about that. Why would I be asking for God to bless us? Why should we be singing these words to God? Verse 2 that the nations would know. And so David's motivation for personal good is the glory of God and the salvation of others. Are y'all with me today? Yeah? Listen, Israel's good gifts are meant not just for them, but like our spiritual gifts, their good gifts are meant for the building up of others as well, that other people might know the goodness of God. When God gives good things, it is always not just for the recipients of that gift, but for the benefit of others as well, because we serve a benevolent God. This word is for someone today, by the way, that God has given you good gifts, not just for your enjoyment, but for the benefit of others, because God is benevolent. God wants us to be sharing goodness with those around us. And so we're not just escaping hell. Right? Like, look at what the psalmist says here. In fact, if you look at some of those verb choices or some of the words that he's using, look at all of the beauty that, that David is calling us into when we get into relationship with God. That God would be gracious to us and bless us and that his face would shine upon us. And he has this power and this praise and and this blessing and this fear and all of this beauty. This is what we find in Christ. And so in Christ, there is all of this good. And this is part of the motivation of why we should want people to know God, because we want them to have life. And life is found in Christ. Listen, if we love people, we want their good. And good is found most clearly in Jesus. Good is found most permanently and most truly in our God. And God and God alone do we have good that goes into eternity, family of God. If we love people, we want their good. You see, if we know somebody is sick, well, family of God, we know the ultimate doctor, If we know that somebody desires this purpose in their life, then we know he for whom our work will never fade or end but receive eternal glory. If they need relationship, we know the Father. 
or the husband or the brother or the friend of who Christ is. If they need hope, family of God, you and I will live forever. If they need a covering for their shame, then we know he who was naked and ashamed on the cross so that you would never have to be shame-filled again. If there's a loneliness, we know he who will never leave us and forsake us. The gospel is good news for whatever our soul is missing because whatever our soul needs, Christ fulfills. We need the world to know this truth, family of God, You see, God is not just saving you from what you were and making you better, but he's also saving you into something beautiful, and he invites all of us to get to be a part of this. And so there's all this good that we see in this psalm, and that's what David is wanting to highlight, not the escape from bad, but the entering into something beautiful and good. But there's another repetitive theme that you see throughout that psalm as well, Notice how many times David uses the word nations or peoples or the entire earth. And so, really evidently, who do you think that God is for? I got three people to talk there. That was pretty good. (laughs) Everyone, right? Listen, we'll talk about the nations a little bit more specifically next week, as I've said, but this is a part of the reason for our distinctive, that every soul is one that Jesus longs for, because we see very clearly God wants all people, all the peoples to come to know who he is. Now question, what does that word all mean for you, okay? Because I believe if we had the conscious thought that every single person that we pass by every single day that God desires to have an intimate relationship with that individual, I think it would change the way we see people. I think we would see them very differently as not just a flesh, but as a soul that God longs for. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, that was the context of the reconciliation passage that we don't just see people as people anymore. We see them as souls. The nations around us who do not know Jesus, we would long for them to know who he is. The nations um, uh, out there, the tongues and the tribes that we don't even know exist, we would actually begin to grow affection for because we want the world to know this God who is good. That's what David highlights. You see, seeing everything and everyone as God sees them is a powerful thing. And it begins to spur us on towards mission The context of this psalm, though, I believe makes what David is praying and singing here that much more powerful. You see, this psalm is beautiful in like wild, wild ways. And it's filled with all of this Christology and all of this beauty. If you study it, it's going to shatter your world. Okay, I spent like two hours this week going over certain things like, I can't use this on Sunday, but that's so freaking good, okay? I I am going to circle back around to it at the missions intensive, by the way. And so you can't just study some and then not teach it, you know what I'm saying? Like, so if you want to come to the Mission Intensive, at the end of this month, you'll hear more about Psalm 67, okay? But it's beautiful in more ways than we can unpack this afternoon. But this psalm is called the Menorah Psalm. 
The menorah was the lampstand that you found in the temple and in the tabernacle. It showed the way into the holy place. And they actually sung this psalm in between Passover and the Feast of Weeks every year, which were Jewish holidays that happen yearly. Now, it's called the menorah song because it has seven verses, and there's 49 words in those seven verses, or seven times seven. And so seven for the Jewish people was this number of completion or perfection, like God finished the world in seven days, and it was very good. And so in a very similar way, this is this perfect or this unifying or this complete psalm. When the nations begin to come into the kingdom of God, that is when things are complete. And so when they would write it sometimes, one of the common ways they would write it is they would actually draw the picture of the menorah. I have a picture for us there so that we can see it. And so obviously in Hebrew, those are written where they're actually connecting to one another. Now if you keep that picture up, this is also a chiastic poem. Chiasm is just when one thing parallels another thing later in the text. And so verse 1, if you look at your Bible, is almost identical to verse 7. Verse 2 is very close to verse 6. Verse 3 is literally identical from verse 5. But then verse 4 is this middle verse. And in every chiasm, what you're doing is you're creating this poetry to repeat yourself, to make emphasis. But the middle part of that poetry is always the most significant part of the psalm. And so once again, I'm telling you, menorah psalm, type it up if you don't want to wait till the mission's intensive. It's unbelievable, okay? And I think only the Holy Spirit can write something as beautiful as this. But for our context here, the most important thing, the middle passage, is verse 4. And in verse 4, David asks that the nations will be glad and that they would rejoice as God judges them and as God guides them. Now this is a profound verse, Okay? Once again, I don't want you to miss the Selahs that are in the scriptures. And so verse 1, he says, hey, God, would you bless us? Now pause and think, why am I asking for this blessing? Verse 4, he says, so that the nations would be saved. Now let's pause and think about that. Israel, right? This is who this is written to and sung for. This is written to Israel, who often falsely assumed that God's salvation was for them and them alone to enjoy. You see, they forgot about the nations. Even though, as we'll talk about next week, every single one of God's covenantal promises to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to Solomon, every single one of them included the nations. And yet Israel forgot about the nations. They often um, for, uh, let that slip their mind. So yearly at a congregational gathering between the Passover, the most important holiday, and the Feast of Weeks, another very important holiday, they were forced to sing this song where they were singing about the nations and they were forced to pause on the verse where the nations will be glad and come into the kingdom of God. God wants everyone to be saved. Um... I feel like y'all aren't hype with me, okay? So let me stand over here away from my notes, right? It's never good. I know the time's running out, but that's all right. You know that you're not Jewish, right? Like maybe three of y'all in here are Jews, okay? But for the rest of us, we're Gentiles. Do you know that means that you're not supposed to be singing worship songs to God right now? 
Like originally, as it was originally kind of designed, as the temple was built up, you and I were not allowed to go in there. And yet, because of God's love for you and his desire that the nations would come in, you now get access to God, family. This is good news. Praise God. And this is why this psalm is so significant, because it's written in the midst of Israel's salvific history. But God was thinking about you today. God was thinking about your soul when he's causing the Holy Spirit to pin this through David. And so we should long for God's salvation. But listen, God is still thinking about the nations, y'all. You see, I think we fall into Israel's trap as well, where we forget about God's heart for the world and for the nations to come to know him. And so we tend to think that salvation is just for us and for us to enjoy in us alone. And so we ask God to bless us. And we ask that God's graciousness would be upon us. And we ask for God's revelation upon us. God, show me your will for my life. But we never pray that for the nations. God has a heart that all people would come to know him, family. That all the nations would worship. This blessing is not just for you and I to enjoy. It's that the nations would come to know God as well. I believe that's why verse 4 is sandwiched in between verses 3 and 5, which say the exact same sentence in the Hebrew text, that God's longing for the peoples is beautiful. This is God's heart, and it should be our heart as well. The nations would know the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. And so really, this psalm in some ways is this call to remember how beautiful God actually is, to remember that God wants a relationship with us, to remember that God is calling us into himself, beckoning us to come into the kingdom of God, that he desires us to be saved, so we should be sharing that truth. Now, in many churches and contexts, we would kind of end the sermon here, okay, and be like, you should be sharing the gospel, so go share the gospel. And that's true to an extent, but I believe fairly moralistic in nature. And while we would feel a little bit guilty, and in irony, guilt is a great momentary motivator, right? Tomorrow we'll be at work like, ah, I should be sharing the gospel. Hey, Sally, what'd you do this weekend? I went to church. (laughs) And you would do it on Monday, right? But all guilt is a stimulant when you first consume it, but as you digest it and it sits in your gut, it always turns to poison in the end. And it makes you a Pharisee who feels righteous because you're doing the works of the law. Or it leaves you shame-filled, feeling like you need to hide from God. And you begin to paint the wrong pictures of God because you think you're not good enough because you failed at the law. All guilt is shame-filled, is is poison-ridden in the long run. There's a better truth here than the law that motivates way deeper than the law ever could. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is the great motivator to share the gospel. And this psalm has like 80 different ways that it's calling us to remember the beauty of the gospel. And you and I have a greater motivation to see the nations coming to know Jesus more than David ever could. Because on this side of the cross, we see God's heart even more clearly. Think about the blessing verbs in this psalm, for example. If you look at them again, all the good things that come from God or that are given to God in this psalm. In verse 1, once again, he says to be gracious or, or to bless God, right? Well, why do we get to receive blessing and why do we get to bless God? Because Jesus Christ was cursed on our behalf. 
The scripture reads, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus hung on that tree that he would receive the curse that you and I might receive blessing. Or think about God's face shining upon us. Why do we get Jesus' face shining upon us? It's because he who said, let there be light, and shone light into the entire world as he was hanging up on the cross, the entire sky went black and light was snuffed out so that you and I who should dwell in utter darkness forever might now dwell in utter light, family of God. Christ is the fulfillment of this. Or think about the, the gladness or the joy that you see. Why do you and I get that? Because the king who is joy himself became the man of sorrows so that you and I who should be sorrowful forever might dwell in everlasting joy. This is the gospel. Jesus, even though he was the perfectly gracious one, the, the one that was seeking to bless everybody, even though he praised the Father and never disdained him, he was treated like a Gentile like one who should be cast out of the presence of God, though he was the true Jew, the, the better Adam, the, the true and the most perfect human that would ever live, he became sin so that you and I, who should not have access into the presence of God, might now have life forever, blessing forever if we believe. Jesus traded places, and that's what makes all the good of this psalm possible. And so Jesus is the only one that deserves all this good, but now you and I get all of this good, and we get to sing this song. Like, can I press in just a little bit more, y'all? Think about the audacity of this psalm, right? Like, the psalm opens up, may God be gracious to us. Sure, we could pray that, and bless us. Like, for real? Your sinful self going to be asking God to bless you? Right? Like this feels like, like some audacity in some ways to, to ask God to bless us as if we deserve anything good from God. Or think about the fact that the nations rejoice at the judgment of God. You see it there in verse 4? Listen, if judged rightly, you and I would be condemned forever, away from God's presence. But now the nations rejoice at God's judgment. <laughs> what? How do we rejoice at the judgment of God? Because we know that Christ was judged on our behalf, that you might have a life everlasting. The gospel is good news, family. The gospel is good news. And now you have the Holy Spirit, which will guide you, verse 4 says, all the way to your eternal home until one day God's face will shine upon you literally where the sun will disappear, Christ will be our light, and the light of Christ will shine into your hearts forever. That's what the gospel says. You ever uh, inside in Texas summer and it's like freezing cold in August because they have the AC set at like 68 as if that's where we normally dwell, right? And then you go outside and the sun like hits your skin and it feels good. You ever have that experience? You do realize that when you're in heaven, there will be no sun. What you'll feel is the glory of Christ. That is good news, family. God's face will literally shine upon us. And we want every tongue, tribe, and nation to know this love of Christ. And so, once again, okay, that's easy to do that in this moment. Like tomorrow, it can feel easy to be motivated, but how do we have a Psalm 67 heart eternally. Can I give us two practical things as we close that I think will help us in this? First of all, I believe you have a heart like this by being intimate with Jesus. Be intimate with Jesus, family. Fall in love with Christ. 
Remember the gospel that we just proclaimed that hopefully even if just 0.2% your heart leapt a little bit at that truth. Remember that, Christ, love God. Because as you love God, you'll begin to naturally love the things that God loves. And God loves the nations. God wants you and everyone around you and everyone in this whole world to come to know who he is. John Piper has a quote here which I find really helpful. He's a pastor and author in Minnesota. He says this. He says, have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love for the lost? This is the term that we use as a part of our Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some feeling of benevolence that would propel them into bold evangelism. It'll never happen. Blunt. It's impossible to love the lost. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept. You would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race or something as vague as all lost people. Don't wait for a feeling of love in order to share Christ with a stranger. You already love your heavenly Father, and you know that this stranger is created by him, but separated from him. So take those first steps in evangelism because you love God. It is not primarily out of compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It is, first of all, love for God. Loving God will increase your heart for the lost and for the nations. Secondly, we began by highlighting that this is a communal song. That's because I think evangelism is best done in community or with a team. When the college ministry began to employ this one place, they found that a lot of their one places were places that they were already doing that together. And they began to just do it together. And with accountability and togetherness, they began to see more fruit. I don't think it was a mistake that our last baptism saw mostly college students be baptized. Or even in Becca White's video, she talked about how she started this Bible study, but then other believers began to come. And as they came, they were able to encourage each other and to spur one another on. There's accountability, there's boldness. When the congregation is about it together, then we become about it together. And so we should be communal in this. But here's the reality, friends. God wants the entire world to know his reign and to bow down, not in judgment, but in joy that they would know the God of the universe. And so for the next two weeks, and at the missions intensive, we'll be talking about the nations more specifically and what our heart is as a church to see 100 churches planted internationally and that we would all feel called to that. For some of us, that means being faithful in our one place here in America, hoping and praying for and giving to and fasting for the fulfillment of Psalm 67. For others, it means blessing the nations in a different way. It means going and sharing the gospel with those who do not know this joy that you and I get the blessing of experiencing. Regardless, as a church, we have a heart for it, and we want others to have a heart as well until the entire world hears, because that's what our King Jesus deserves, all nations proclaiming him. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for for calling us Gentiles. That I, 
who should have been far from you and then grew up hostile to the kingdom. God, I profaned your name. I did things and said things that were aggressively anti-gospel. You did not turn your face in judgment against me. My gosh, you saved me. Jesus, thank you. God, I pray for those in here who do not know who you are. I pray that they would enter into a relationship with you. Listen, friend, God wants you to know him. God wants you to have a relationship. And whatever church hurt you had, listen, that church was not a representation of Christ. Whatever things that you're conjuring up in your mind about who God is, are you sure that's who God is? Because God that I know, God of the Bible, loves and gives and lays down that you might know him. And we enter into that relationship with God by simply professing with our mouth, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that what you have done for me on the cross, all of the, the sin and the shame and the guilt and the ways I've tried to run away from you, that you paid for that. That by belief I can have relationship with you. Friends, it sounds scandalous and simple and almost too easy. There's no formula. It's simply giving our hearts to Christ. That's how we enter into this love. God, for those of us who have given our hearts to you, Christ, I pray that we would remain in that love. Yes, Lord. Help us. And would we proclaim that love to others, Jesus? Thank you for the people who were bold enough to proclaim it with me, though I rejected them and despised them in a way for sharing. I now get to proclaim your goodness. God, thank you. Would we be proclaimers, Christ? Praise in your beautiful name. Amen.